Welcome to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast, where insights, attitudes, and methods for success get illuminated. Learn what leaders and change workers have done and are doing now to create magnificent futures. We interview great guests who inspire you to overcome obstacles and achieve your goals. Be sure you visit our website at self-helpcoaching.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now, just relax as you listen. You can do something else, but be ready to make an important note. And let's get started. The title of this interview is How a 40-Year-Old AI-Based Technology Has Fed Massive Insight and Value into Both Coaching, Change Work, and Modeling Great Minds, which is to say, Knowledge Capture. Before I tell you my guest bio, I'll tell you how I met him and his influence on me, or at least some of it. I met him through Joel Elfman. I was just getting back interested into NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, and met Joel and he said I had to meet his trainer. Let's call him Mr. X for now. So I did at a presentation he made with Doug O'Brien. Mr. X impressed me. And at that event, after we met, he called me a maven, by the way, which because I was not new to NLP and knew a lot about it and psychology. And maven means someone who knew quality from the chaff. In fact, I first uh, learned about it at the same time that our guest, I'll say, I'll, I'll stop talking about him in the third person and start talking about him in the second person. I learned about it at the same time you did in the mid 90s, but you dived into it and I did not. So let that be listen. <laughs> so that was the beginning. Uh, and that was the beginning of my meeting of our guest. And uh, I've been a professional coach since 2014. And three things from that intro that I want to emphasize or point out. One is that he is one of my two primary NLP instructors. And when he was up here in New York, I went to every workshop and seminar that he gave. I think I, I think I might be the only person to do that. I don't know if that's true, but I certainly, I know that's to be true. Know that to be true. Second point is I consider this person and Rex Sykes to be my primary NLP teachers. And thirdly, it was this person and Doug O'Brien that most inspired me to become a coach. Okay, now that I've got my little personal intro out of the way, let me tell you our special guest bio. He is an NLP trainer, if you haven't figured that out by now. <laughs> and he has been training NLP students globally since 1997. He's authored a range of innovative home study materials. Let me list the ones that I bought and learned. Creating the automatic yes, finding your irresistible voice, the metaphor machine. I learned so much from him. His style and content has become a favorite among those who like to delve deeply into unique applications of NLP, including areas such as voice quality development, humor, body language, public speaking, sales, interviews, and other business uses. He also maintains a thriving coaching practice, regularly doing Zoom-based coaching with clients all over the world, and is beginning to offer online 
Zoom classes now as well as opportunities to observe, observe him modeling exemplars real time. His hobbies include doing impersonations, graphology, and contact juggling. <laughs> and that one, now with all that said, ladies and gentlemen and others, I give you Mr. Jonathan Alfeld. Thank you, Tony. That was very gracious and uh, it's a glowing review right there. Thank you. Totally sincere, sir. I appreciate the invitation to your podcast. So thanks for inviting. You know, uh, you're quite welcome. You know, I feel like in a way, in a sense that we've sort of come full circle. <laughs> you know, for me being uh, one of the great unwashed, I, I think you made that reference once. I, I, I remember little things, Mr. Alfeld, uh, you know, uh, to becoming trained by you on multiple levels, becoming a practitioner, learning the skill, becoming proficient, uh, and uh, becoming a professional coach and having a, a coaching practice and all that. And, um, and now years later, here we are. Here I'm we interview are. I'm interviewing you for my podcast, which is related to something that, uh, you know, I've created a virtual coaching program, which I believe, I mentioned this to you recently, I'm going to be the greatest feather in your cap Ever. But we'll see. Let's see. That's a bold. I'm a. I'm a. I'm a bold guy. We'll see if I if I can uh, be congruent with that. But uh, I believe that's the case. Sure. And however that goes forward, I wish you um, immense success with your new program. I think it's great. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Oh, it's so great to have you here. <laughs> Let's talk about genius mapping as a methodology for both coaching changing minds, and modeling expertise, capi, uh, capturing and mapping genius. Sure. Well, where do we begin? You're, you, I mean, you jumped sort of into the deep end of the pool there, didn't you? Right? Hey, you, you know, I'm the wild card, Jonathan. Um, so uh, I'm not sure if uh, you're listening. Should I assume that your listeners have um, um, minimal exposure to NLP? It'd be best to assume that they are blithering idiots. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no do not make that assumption. Oh, okay. So some, some will and some won't, right? Yes, definitely. Well, let, well, let's start from that frame in general and say that, um, that NLP in general, before we even get to genius mapping, NLP in general, um, uh, most people, when they read about NLP or they hear about NLP, it's either going to be in marketing circles and somebody's going to think, oh, that's just manipulative language work to change minds. And while that can be true, that's not where NLP is at its best. Um, also, that's an example of using sort of the smattering uh, fringes of NLP um, to be influential to other minds as the language work. But the language work is just, it's just kind of, um, uh, it, it's, it's sort of uh, the boundaries of NLP. At the core of NLP, the, the origin of the techniques, the technology, and the mindset, and all of the beliefs and values that are part of learning NLP, is about capturing and replicating expertise from other people. That's really where NLP shines. And that's really the origins of NLP is that they, they use this ability that they developed to capture expertise from other people and then to train themselves to do those things or to accomplish the same results in far less time than the original exemplars, the people who were showing the excellence patterns 
these patterns of excellence could be mapped and adopted and then used by new people in far less time than it took the original people, the exemplars, to do them. So NLP at its best is a fast track to excellence. That's the core. And anything else is painting it with the wrong brush, in my opinion, right? So at the core of NLP is this ability to capture expertise and replicate it. So when we start from that frame, then we start expanding outside the original, uh, let's say the original zone of NLP, which was focused initially on replicating techniques for change work, right? So we have the first wave of NLP uh, co-developers, the founders and the, and the, and the co-developers and, and the first wave was all concerned with therapeutic techniques. So a lot of NLP classes today look like somebody standing at the front of the room training therapeutic techniques. And it's really, that's not NLP either by itself. I mean, that's sort of like what sort of has emerged over time from doing NLP with experts. Initially, all in the change work zone, but over time in business zones, in copywriting, in, in sales, in management. And so it is fair to say that NLP has expanded over time as it sort of absorbs the collections of expertise, the, all, the, all the top 10 lists of, uh, of best sales tactics, best closing, best this, best that. Those lists may have been uh, acquired by people trained in NLP. If I go to the self-help section, at least a third, maybe more like half nowadays of the books that are up on the, uh, the shelves of the self-help areas of bookstores, there are that many bookstores anymore, but you get the point. It, many of them were written by NLP master practitioners who did modeling work. You can see collected, the NLP in it. And sometimes you do and sometimes you don't, correct? Yes, yes. Yeah. So, so we have NLP that is at the core of this acquisition of excellence process that results in a collection of techniques in one area or another. And it's, a great, it's great fodder for book writing, right? So we've got lots and lots of self-help books out there that are the results of NLP, but often the people who are learning those techniques don't know anything about NLP. So their ability to replicate what's in books might be limited. Anyway, so I was a Johnny Come Lately, 1997. Of course, NLP was developed, began being developed in the mid 1970s. And my arrival on the scene was in 1997. And one of the things that I noticed on arriving was that at that time, very few people were actually training modeling anymore. Like most of the courses out there were training the results of NLP, all those techniques. They were training hypnosis and change work and language patterns and, uh, and influence and fun and good state management. All of those things are good, they're all useful. But if somebody's interested in the core techniques of NLP, of modeling, well, they have to, they have to go further and, and, and sometimes farther. And, uh, and often they don't find what they're actually looking for because very few trainers are actually training modeling skills anymore. Modeling, it's not modeling on the catwalk in NLP's you know, field. Modeling is about capturing expertise. So in 1997, I was shifting over from a prior career in artificial intelligence, as you were so kindly uh, sharing with your, your audience. And so I had all these techniques for capturing expertise from people with a different methodology than NLP had approached with. And I noticed that I knew more about modeling than most of the students that I was coming up with, which was a really weird dichotomy. Like I was expecting people to have lots of knowledge about, about modeling 
and very few people did. Even the trainers that were circling the founders didn't seem to know a lot about modeling. Uh, they talked a good game, but when you asked them how specifically, they didn't have answers. Now, there were, in fact, a few people training modeling. Robert Dilt, certainly. David Gordon and Graham Dawes, certainly. And there's a few others. But they were dwindling. I mean, less and less people were training modeling. And maybe that's a market condition. Maybe less people really wanted to learn about modeling, but they should have, in my opinion, because that's really the core skill set. So I realized that there was a place, there was a, a, a value in teaching the skills from artificial intelligence, from knowledge engineering, which is about capturing other people's uh, heuristics, all their decision strategies, their beliefs, their values. And there was this wonderful mapping system built into this field of knowledge engineering for capturing cognitive expertise from other people. Jonathan, I want to hear all about that knowledge, knowledge engineering, but let's take a quick moment to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Jonathan Allfield. This episode of Self-Help Coaching is brought to you by Perphysio. What if there was a self-improvement program truly personalized to you, that knew and cared for you deeply, that whatever was going on in your life adapted for you perpetually? Visit www.perphysio.io. That's P-E-R-F-I-C-I-O dot I-O, where you can start a program that will always suit you, considering all the pressures and nuances of your life. You're listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast with my primary NLP trainer, Jonathan Allfelt, and he's talking about knowledge engineering and his beginnings in NLP. Continue, please, Jonathan. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. So let's see, where were we? Uh, knowledge engineering, when I arrived in 1997, there was this absence of modeling knowledge, specific modeling knowledge among the folks I was talking to. So I thought maybe there was an opportunity to share with the NLP community what I had learned from my artificial intelligence years. And lo and behold, the knowledge engineering techniques provided this mapping system that was, that was cohesively tying together many of the disparate aspects of NLP. Um, in fact, there was a recent video, uh, I'm sort of jumping ahead many years, there's a recent video showing uh, John Grinder on video describing how NLP has been brilliant about sharing with people the how, how to do certain things, um, how to be extraordinary. In, in other words, capturing um, techniques of excellence and teaching those to people so that people have more more fabulous decision strategies, more fabulous uh, learning strategies and, and techniques for accomplishing things. But NLP, according to John Grinder, really failed when it came to telling people the when, right? The when, the specifically when to do certain things. I mean, and that's true of most people who learn NLP is they get a thousand techniques, but they don't know what to do when. And often the trainers leave it up to the practitioner to figure out what to do when, right? It's use your intuition or it's uh, uh, just utilize what's in front of you. They give you vague instructions as to uh, when to do specific things. Well, knowledge engineering provides precisely when to do what, precisely when to decide what, precisely when to do various things. So it, as a modeling system, it provides people a trackable map of how to replicate somebody's extraordinary excellence. And so it was providing a missing link for neurolinguistic programmers to learn all this knowledge engineering material. 
uh, for modeling skills, for coaching work, for uh, acquiring expertise, for helping people design targeted interventions for problems. And so it was this brilliant missing link for a lot of neurolinguistic programmers, a lot of NLP folks. However, I, I readily admit to not training it enough because um, we needed more than three days to train it. Let me and interject there. You do me. that, please. <laughs> Tell me. Uh, when I, uh, the first training I took from you was belief craft, which was your knowledge engineering combined with Doug O'Brien's belief craft, which you stole from. Oh, Robert. no, combined with Doug O'Brien's approach to sleight of mouth. Oh, sleight of mouth, yes. which you stole from Robert Dills, which I'm only kidding. He was totally oh, he has his permission. Uh, I'm totally kidding. Doug O'Brien is the man. He's, oh, my, what an influence. He, you know, my, and the people who influenced me there is Rex Sykes and you and Doug O'Brien right beneath. He's so invaluable. In I, I think of Doug like a brother in many ways. Oh, he's awesome. I don't yeah, want to get into levels. He's, he's coming on the podcast uh, imminently. Anyway, so um, you guys combined and you taught this thing called belief craft. Wonderful thing. But it was my first training and you taught it as, as a module of your master practitioner, which you, you know, I, you were like, oh, you're ready for it, Tony. You got, you know, you're Maven, you got the chops. But, you know, it was, a, I, I loved it. I saw how valuable it was so it was how important but i and i and i love learning it from you and the, the whole experience but i never got to that level of comfort and proficiency to use it with my clients and i and i used the sleight of mouth which was awesome but i never got to that level where i wanted to use it i'm like how can i make this use you know i re revisit the text but i never got to to do that and now you're talking about that very thing about being at that level yeah that's a fair criticism there's no question is that uh, um so a little history here briefly and I, I won't get too deep into it but uh, the knowledge engineering content was originally taught over the course of three days right. three days to teach uh the knowledge engineering part of let's say belief craft or of course genius math so i'd have a day to teach how to map a single belief in all of its permutations all of the the nuances about how to track a single belief statement uh, how to map it, how to validate it, how to get um, verification from an exemplar that something is accurate, et cetera. And then I needed a second day to teach people how to track how beliefs interact with other beliefs. So day one in, in knowledge engineering was all about learning how to map a single belief. Day two was all about learning how to map a belief system. Day three would typically be associated with coaching uh, and or actually practicing mapping on a larger scale. Now, then fast forward after a number of years, because I started teaching that in 1997. Um, I think it was 2004 when Doug, Doug and I had met in 2000 or 2001. Uh, we became fast friends. Uh, it was in 2003 when I um, got to attend something Doug was doing as a, uh, I was a guest, he was the trainer and during lunch one day, we went out and we started talking. We started thinking, well, maybe we should do a workshop together, combine the KE and, and the sleight of mouth. They, they fit together perfectly. Um, and the reason they fit together perfectly was that uh, in knowledge engineering, we track if then means statements. So three parts. And with sleight of mouth, they're using if then means statements. Why? Because there was overlap from uh, how Robert Diltz structured uh, belief statements. Right. And so by normalizing all beliefs to that structure, you can do extraordinary things with them. And so it was a perfect fit. So we use the mapping system with knowledge engineering to figure out what a belief is, 
or what someone's beliefs or beliefs are. And then you use sleight of mouth to create targeted change work to rewire. By the way, Jonathan, when I developed Proficio, the virtual coaching program, I didn't use knowledge engineering per se, but I used a similar approach because I had to have a a standard, a a way to compartmentalize, a way for Uh things to work together systemically. And, 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 and I followed in your pa- the path that you set, man. That's, well, that's I'm glad. That's know. great. <laughs> very helpful, I'm sure. You were very influential. You're teaching. When you, if you look at Proficio, you'll find out after the fact comes up a lot. Stuff about values, hierarchy, changing beliefs. That's what we're talking about. I mean, now, you know, knowledge engineering is all about beliefs. That's, that's the main thing. If, 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 we, if we can boil it down, in my experience, in my opinion, beliefs are the main thing. They are the main thing. I agree completely. But, you know, you're preaching to the choir with me. You know what you're talking so, about, all, Phil. <laughs> so, so day three of, of, of uh, just knowledge engineering was, um, would be applied, applying the skills of mapping a belief or belief system. Then when Doug and I started doing belief craft, we really found that it would be difficult to, to, to pull in people for longer than three days. There was this, uh, I guess, this strong impetus for us to combine the, uh, the KE stuff, the knowledge engineering material with sleight of mouth and still fit it into now three days. That meant that the KE portion of belief craft had to be shrunk to two days and sleight of mouth had to be taught in one. I, looking back, readily admit that that was putting a lot of content into just three days. It was so, almost overwhelming. So can I ask you that, uh something then now that you've made that admission is it too late to get my money back i'm kidding of course i'm kidding um, yeah probably too late to get your money back but uh but that said i can throw some additional resources at you because i think it would oh. be wonderful for you to practice it you know we'll talk about that but of course i was being totally facetious man I, I, when i say that this guy was influential on me that's an understatement i mean uh, truly and I, I got a great anecdote when i went down to that training that belief craft, the knowledge engineering from you. In D.C., I remember you being there. Uh, yeah, I think it was Virginia. I think it was Virginia, right? Uh, my, well, I'm thinking it was Maryland. It was up Oh, Maryland. Or, That's what it? it was. Right, it was Maryland. So, you know, this was my first training. I mean, yeah, I was impressed by you by a presentation, a seminar. This is my first training that I went down to. And I had a great healthy skepticism. You should be skeptical about NLP and everything else for that matter. Cynicism sure. is another thing, though. Skepticism, awesome. Anyways, I agree so, with you. Wow, that's great. Keep going. I taught you well. <laughs> so, uh, so I, I was skeptical, and um, and we were at, we were at the at the dinner one evening, a uh, group of us, you know, about eight or nine perhaps, and uh-huh. uh, and uh, there was a waitress who you said, and you know, you, you you picked up on my skepticism, you know, not in any targeted way, just as a matter of conversation. Sure. And you said, watch this, Tony. And you blew this waitress away with your handwriting skills and some other NLP magic that you had. Do you recall that? I recall that um, it's very difficult to, to get people who are skeptical past their skepticism when the techniques are being used with fellow students because everybody's already bought into it right, right 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 so you do it with somebody outside the seminar room who has no prior exposure to it right. and you help change a belief uh or you connect with somebody and then suddenly they feel more validated than they've felt by 
almost anybody in their life. And then they start bringing all their friends over who are in the kitchen, you know, this gal, this guy, and then pretty soon there's a whole group. She was amazed. She, her mouth was open in, in amazement. And then her boyfriend also was an employee right. at a bar restaurant. I think it was a bartender or someone, but he was employed there. He was completely sober, completely lucid. And, and you said, watch this, Tony. You proceeded to make this guy feel as if he was drunk. He was completely lucid, but he was like, you know, it was, he agreed. Right. So, you, so we're, we're getting into some ethical questions there. <laughs> no, he, remember, there's a whole pre-talk that, 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 uh, that preceded that whole experience where we got full buy-in. There was no surreptitious thing. There was no stealth. This Correct. Is, this is, he agreed to be part of this. As a matter of fact, he challenged you. He challenged yes, he you, right? It, that's what it was. It was a challenge. It wasn't that you were like, okay, we'll do this. So no, there was nothing unethical in any way, nothing and nothing in the slightest. He 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 couldn't believe it. So I, I had to share that. Okay, and with that with that share, let's take another quick moment for another break, and we'll be right back with Jonathan Altfeld. This episode of Self Help Coaching is brought to you by Perficio. What are the secrets to wealth? Benjamin Franklin taught them, but people are ignorant or just forget. What if you make sure neither afflicts you? Visit www.perficio.io. That's P-E-R-F-I-C-I-O dot I-O, where you can actually become certain you are on your way to wealth. You're listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast with Jonathan Allfeld, Mr. Knowledge Engineering, now genius mapping. Continue, Jonathan, please. Okay, so we'll continue here. Let's see. So so looking back at, uh, at Beliefcraft, I love and loved training with Doug. And, uh, and I think we did some extraordinary work with Beliefcraft. I just think that fitting it into three days was not, in retrospect, the best format for this. Uh, over time, um, I, I rethought a number of things about the skills. I think they're still extraordinary. I think they're extraordinarily valuable. I think more people should know about them and use them. Um, and it needed a bigger and better format. It needed to be um, reviewed. It needed a better name. And it needed... Um, more focus on application and rather than having two-thirds of the course be learning skills that people haven't even begun to use, the new format for genius mapping is a six-day certification course. And all the building blocks are taught in the first two days, but we start working on refinements and applications beyond that. And extraordinary things have already happened. I've taught genius mapping once in Melbourne, Australia in 2018, uh, twice in the States, once in Pittsburgh, once in Orlando. Uh, we had international um, attendees in, uh, at all three. It was wonderful, really, truly wonderful. And my dreams for this content, this material, are finally coming to pass. Genius Mapping is all about creating trackable maps of other people's strategies. So whether we're directing that uh, acumen, that skill set, towards people who are stuck in their lives so that we can map the, the detailed structure of why precisely they're stuck. Or we're applying that acumen towards uh, rapid capture of expertise from gifted people. Um, in one direction, if we're heading towards, uh, towards using it with people who are stuck, at the end of a proper mapping process, we have a visual structure of why they're stuck, why they're repeating their dysfunctional behavior. And we can design extraordinary interventions, either through the use of NLP techniques or through the use of sleight of mouth 
as a way of um, helping them create permanent change very quickly that they don't return to, they can't return to it, to the old behavior, uh, because it's so targeted. That's one of my big issues with a lot of uh, the NLP field over the last 20 years or so is people are really sloppy with their change work. They, they learn a handful of techniques and, uh, and they hear a clue or two as to some signal, some indication that somebody may have a problem in this zone. And then they throw the book at them. They throw one technique after another, or they use meta model languaging inelegantly and they question everything constantly rather than using clean language to create a full map first. So if they're doing that, then the exemplar, the client with the problem has a moving target. So if I'm con if you tell me, Jonathan, every time I do this, I get upset. And I hear you and I go, every time you do this, you get upset. Okay, so if I validate it and you go, yes, that's absolutely true, um, then that's fine. I'm not changing your math at all. But if I go, every time, right? I use that meta-monstering stuff right. uh, where I'm questioning your universals like every. The moment I start questioning it, you start looking for exceptions. And now, now the, ch the, the stuck state is not quite the same as it was a moment ago, but it may still be strong in some circumstances. Because it's a moving target, however, any interventions I choose to use down the line are likely to be sloppy at best. So I'd rather stay with the clean questions until I build a more thorough map of why someone is stuck at this moment and then design a targeted intervention because then it's not a moving target. You do all the change work kind of at once. And like a Rubik's cube, it just kind of all falls into place and it's you know, solid, integral. So if you apply it towards change work, that's one extraordinary result. If you apply it towards uh, capturing expertise, you can end up with a visual map of somebody's brilliance. Um, and I think this is a very important area of personal development, what you do, uh, this genius mapping. But what, what's unique about you or your approaches to either helping people or helping people to help themselves with to be self-development, self-help, whatever? It has to be my background. And this, uh, this view of NLP where the, the focus needs to be on more effective modeling, more effective information gathering, rather than on more influential language patterns. And there's, there's so much focus on the influential language patterns, on embedded commands, on indirect elicitation patterns, on using um, universal quantifiers, uh, on using modal operators possibility to, to tilt people from can't to will. There's all kinds of manipulative language patterns. And I say the word manipulative, not with any positive or negative attention attached to that word, because manipulation can be bad or good. I mean, we can apply judgment to it either way. Um, babies have to manipulate their parents in order to get fed. I, I use the word generically, not with stigma attached. Right. Um, intentions are what are good or bad. The tools or the techniques are not. But there's so much focus on the language. And I think that that's a mistake. I think the focus should be on more effective information gathering, because we have the ability with NLP and with really good training, good sensory acuity training, good, uh, good questioning to build more effective internal maps of how other people are thinking and processing. And that, I think the emphasis has shifted away from that. So um, I would rather spend more time on more effective information gathering training than on the influential language patterns because they can learn the influential language patterns later on um, from a book, from a CD, but you, I don't know of any good way to train sensory acuity skills or 
or calibration skills well via recordings. Uh, I think it's it's an art that is taught in person. So I, uh, perhaps because of my AI background and the importance of, of capturing an effective map, uh, I, I look at and place more importance on the gathering of information than on the, on the doing of NLP to others. By the way, Jonathan, do you see what I'm holding in my hand? Can you see it? It uh, looks like a watch to me. Uh, part of it's being included by the- uh, Recognize the this watch? Uh, did you buy that in Orlando? That's right. That's right. You, I, my watch failed, and I said I need a new watch. So you took me. It was like a another's to a shopping mall, a plaza, whatever. It was, and I bought this watch. It's, it's it's solar operated. It has no battery. It has it's, it gets the signal from the atomic clock in Colorado. And, Fabulous. And I said I'm gonna get myself a, a watch that's of significance. I bought a new watch, and I knew because I knew from that training in Orlando with you and Rex Sykes. In my basic practitioner, which is also mind design, it's NLP and mind design, Rex Sykes's own twist on it. Yeah, and it would change my life. That it was, I was entering a new era for my life, and I have seen that more and more. That has been true, and so I'm. I'll, I'll, I don't. I never anchored anything to this. By the way, if you're listening, anchoring is like a conditioning, you know, that you can attach to something. Uh, and uh, I never anchored anything to this, but I, it's a constant reminder of that, of that training, of that time and, and what I'm doing and what's going on. And I, f I have found that very useful. By the way, I meant bringing up anchors. No, I okay, know. hold on a second. No, I have to respond to what you just said. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so when you say I never anchored anything to it, but it's a constant reminder of that. Right. right. The fact that it's a constant reminder is an anchor. In other words, what I'm saying is, uh, <laughs> I, I, had, I had a noisy cat. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> is it became an anchor? It has to. Have. For you to tell me it's a constant reminder means it, it it got anchored to the memory. Well, I mean, it's that I wear it all the time. You think all the time I'm I'm raring to go, <laughs> you know uh sometimes i'm raring to go <laughs> but I, I you know slouch time never lasts too long yeah you see and that's a yeah. big difference for me fair enough yeah you know, that is a big difference <laughs> and by the way so i recall that there is one anchor specific that i still use to this day and it was probably, probably like 2013 or so i was walking in manhattan to one of your trainings i think it might have uh -huh. been sales wizardry or something Maybe. like that and uh, and I I made an anchor on my ear uh, about getting in, into this state of great resourcefulness uh, and um, ambition that I still use to this day. Congratulations, <laughs> that's awesome. Still used to this day. I love it. It's great. <laughs> what a great conversation we're having. I'm loving this so much. Let's it's good to reminisce and it's good to think ahead too. It's great. I mean, we're not just talking about, I mean, I think that this is entertaining to people because this is two guys, um, you know, of some achievement and you. Uh, I'm <laughs> uh, if you recall, I'm, very, I'm a very facetious person. I, you know, <laughs> I, I recall being at, at one of your trainings when I was more comfortable with you. We had a closer relationship and I was being a bit of a funny guy. And you were like, Tony! <laughs> <laughs> kind of chastising me, waving your finger because I was interrupting the the, the the you know the atmosphere of a comedy. Yeah. 
and uh, I know I listen, but uh, let's take a <laughs> let's take a quick moment to, uh, to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Mr. Jonathan Othell. This episode of Self Help Coaching is brought to you by Perficio. Do you know why most wealthy people are that way? It's because they think like wealthy people, and a fool and his money are soon parted. Visit www.perficio.io. That's P-E-R-F-I-C-I-O dot I-O, where you can actually transfer the wealth mentality into your own brain, and you will think wealth. You're listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast. With, I can't get my own court, my own show correct. With Mr. Jonathan Allfelt, who is the innovator of genius mapping and an NLP trainer and an incredible coach. You know, by the way, uh, Doug O'Brien was my coach and it came down to, and I came down to pick one. I was like, okay, it was going to be Doug or it was going to be Jonathan. And uh, Doug was just nicer than you were, you know? Yeah, he's definitely nicer than me. No question yeah. about it. Actually, he was more aggressive. He was more aggressive than selling himself. Was what it was. I think it was both, nicer and more aggressive. <laughs> but, uh, you know, of course, I'm joking. But uh, Doug was my first coach, and you guys were so influential on me. What, what and I just talked about when I was trained by you in Orlando and Rex, uh, what attracted you to NLP uh, for self-help purposes? What are some of the... Oh, great question. Wow. Um, I think what I loved about it was... It seemed as though I could get started on my own. And that turned out to be true, but also nowhere near as effective as attending a training. I went to Rex's practitioner, right? So when I was co-training with him in 2011, the course you attended, in 1997, I attended his practitioner training. And I had at that point been self-studying NLP for six months before I attended Rex's course. And I can tell you without question that the first three days of the live course with Rex, I learned more in those three days than I did in six months prior. I think I knew more book knowledge from the six months, than, but I, I learned more effective skill in those three days uh, from Rex's course than I did. Uh, and it was a 14 day course. so. Um, but, but in the first three days, I acquired more skill uh, as opposed to knowledge. Because there's, there's knowing uh, information and then there's knowing how to do two very, very different things. And you can acquire vast amounts of information from books, CDs, tapes. Well, it was tapes for me at the time, right? Uh, then CDs, now um, MP3s, all the podcasts that we're listening to. Uh, you, there's a, an immense amount of information that you can gather. And there's enough information out there now that people can gain a little bit of skill by taking what they hear in a podcast or they read in an article online or they watch on a video and then they go out and they practice it on their own. What's missing from that self-study process is something called feedback loops. From feedback loops from someone else in the room who is more skilled than you or me, right? So if I'm doing an exercise while someone better skilled and more knowledgeable than I am is observing me doing it and steps in at any given moment to tune what I'm doing to get a better result. And then after we have the experience, we then share that and unpack it with the more skilled, more knowledgeable person. And they then tune us for the next exercise and we immediately apply what we've got as the next step into the next exercise. Those feed forward and feedback loops, both of them, are the 
I think, the hallmark of extraordinary training, and it is totally missing from self-study. So I'm all for self-study, don't get me wrong. I think it's an essential component to getting really good at this. But without that live training, I don't think anybody will ever get to the level of proficiency and skill, knowledge, what have you, uh, that, they, that they can get from live, great live training. I concur. What are some of the positive benefits uh, self-helpers gain from learning NLP? Okay, self-help. Um, so um, to answer this question, I think I have to think back to my first six months of self-study and, and realize that not only was NLP giving me some language tricks and some frames for understanding other people's behavior and how I could interact with them. Um, it also gave me some interesting tools and techniques for observing my own behavior differently than I had prior to learning NLP. So in that way, I think NLP offered a great framework for self-study. Uh, I'll give you a simple case in point. Um, Prior to learning any NLP, most of my conscious learning of language and techniques uh, was done from what we now describe through an NLP mindset of first position. Now, first position is immensely familiar to everyone. It's the ego position. It's seeing life from our own eyes. So if you review a conversation you had with somebody that didn't go well before it learning NLP, most of the time you're replaying it from your own perspective. That's natural. That's human. Um, most people do not truly take what we would call second position, which is to replay a conversation completely from the other person's perspective, right? Because if you go into second position and you stay empathetic to your own position from first position, you're not taking second position effectively. So NLP would suggest that you take second position so you truly walk a mile in the other person's shoes. And that means seeing your own position as incorrect, typically, right? In, a, in an opposing argument, to take second position properly, uh, Jonathan would have to see John. If I were arguing with you, uh, you know, as we have argued so many times in the past, we I do would it have, all the time. We're, we're all like the cats time. and dogs. Uh, so, so I would have to take Tony's position fully in my own hallucinations and pretend for a moment that Jonathan's position is hogwash, right? And that Tony's position is correct. And from that position, from that perspective, I can learn new things about the interaction that I could not see from inside my own ego position. So this is just an example of something I absorbed in the books and I began to learn how to adopt on my own. This was not, didn't require a training course to learn how to take second position. Uh, it required a training course to learn how to take a second position more deeply and faster, but it didn't take a course to learn how to begin to do it, right? And so uh, that provided a really interesting framework for learning more effectively uh, as I was practicing NLP. So I, would, uh, I could then take a second position and a third position, which is the fly on the wall position, right? And I could take those different positions of perspective, perceptual positions, and if I had an interaction with someone that didn't go as I expected, I could replay it from all three positions and learn new things about what went well and what didn't go well than I could have seen if I'd only replayed it from first position. So this is just one example out of many where 
um, I, I learned how to learn more effectively through NLP. So I think NLP provides a really valuable framework. Right. I think the presuppositions of NLP as well are really valuable framework for uh, for learning how to pr- how to interact with other people more uh, authentically, congruently, um, and ecologically. Oh, the presuppositions to me are they are, they they're revolutionary. Unfortunately, what I, I've seen, uh, you know, because I really buy into them as a matter of self improvement, and especially in working with clients. But, but it's really unfortunate. I see that a lot of NLP practitioners don't necessarily do that. I, I, in my interpretation of what they've done, but that just might be my view. Uh, but uh, I, <laughs> but there are basic things like you just talked about first and second position or things a little bit slightly more advanced, you know, certain beliefs of, of the NLP practitioner, which aren't necessarily beliefs. We call them presuppositions right? or things that are far more advanced. I find that the whole gamut and, but uh, it's great, but the foundational stuff, is 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 most important you know yes the stuff you're talking about and a lot of that foundational stuff uh is valuable for self-help just as it is for live training courses so um yeah i, I was very very attracted to some of the benefits that that uh that absorbing nlp books and, and recordings totally uh, provided for me i i, I will say i will say I, I will add this that there is a danger in self-help hmm. um that when we recognize the value and the benefit of doing one thing and we get a result from it and then we dive in more deeply and then pretty soon we're doing five things at the same time and then someone asks you a year or two later or five or ten years later hey so you learned how to improve this what worked and we can't answer them anymore if you do five things then you don't know what worked if you do one thing at a time and it works, you can tell it worked. If you do three things at the same time, then you don't know what made the most difference. So there is a tendency with us, I mean, us meaning collectively human beings, that if we, if we do a lot at the same time to improve some area, we can never tell people with accuracy what specifically was most effective. We can guess, but um, my belief is uh, that's rationalization after the fact. So uh, my, my recommendation to people is if it's important to you to know specifically what it was that made the biggest difference to help something, do one thing at a time. And that's hard to do because, yeah. you know, if you're getting positive results, you want to throw the book at everything. By the way, you know, uh, we, an NLP course is being developed for Proficio uh, by John Santangelo. Uh, but you know, it's a home study course, just as you said. Though I don't, I don't dispute you for a moment that it's it's circumscribed. There are limitations that you, what you can do by yourself at home, learning NLP and other things too. The other things are you know, full body sports. They need you need or you need the feedback from someone who knows what they're doing, and that is who can argue with that. But. Uh, that's a rhetorical question, right? So, <laughs> I'm not going to argue with it. <laughs> let's just take a, a quick moment to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with my NLP trainer, Jonathan Allfeld. This episode of Self-Help Coaching is brought to you by Perficio. Ever heard of accelerated learning techniques? What if you learned more deeply than ever before? What if you remembered what you learned far better than ever before? 
visit www.proficio.io. That's proficio.io, where you can understand perhaps better than ever before. You're listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast with me, your host, Tony Petroza, and Jonathan Allfeld. Jonathan, what are some of NLP's failings, or where does NLP actually not help us? Oh, wow. Uh, well, um, NLP is a, um, I, I, ref, I think of it as a bottom-up technology, which means uh, that if you do a whole bunch of pattern work and you identify not useful patterns and you, and you make little changes here and there, uh, over time, the big picture gets better. So, so it tends to be a small chunk um, methodology. Now, there are aspects of it that are very high chunk. Um, working from the, the, the larger chunks downward uh, can also work. But I think most of NLP tends to be a small chunk technology as opposed to visualize everything about your life getting better um, and staying in the high end, staying in the high, in the high chunk. So um, I, I think that there is a tendency because of the modeling capabilities of NLP for capturing expertise on an ever-growing sphere of techniques and capabilities that people start looking at NLP as the end-all and be-all. And I think it's another school of thought. I think it's, uh, it's another model for thinking about thought. Uh, I don't necessarily think it's right for everybody. Uh, also, uh, and here's another huge failing. Um, NLP as a field has completely failed to establish consistent standards. I don't want to point blame around. There's plenty of blame to go around. Um, I probably deserve some of it too because I've gone pretty much independent. Um, and I think that the field is wonderful. The, the, the value and the benefits of, of learning these skills and sharing them with people is enormous. But because there are no standards in the field, one practitioner is not equivalent to another practitioner. And one trainer is not equivalent to another trainer. And there are totally different styles of practitioner because there are totally different styles of trainers. A, a Bandler student today who's taken seven days of training under Richard Bandler uh, is very different from someone who's taken a couple weeks of training with John Grinder directly. Uh, very, very different. Um, I don't even know if they would refer to NLP in the same way or style or, or for purposes. So the field has failed. Does that mean that the techniques are not valuable? Absolutely not. Um, right now, there's an ongoing project uh, that is distancing itself from NLP entirely because of, its, uh, of NLP's inability to maintain integrity as a field, as a field as a whole. Um, with singular standards, but the technique absolutely comes from NLP, and it is becoming by far the single best treatment for PTSD in the world. So whereas the second most popular or the second most effective technique or, uh, or treatment for PTSD is something called cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, and they don't have anywhere close to a 100% um, result of curing or eliminating symptoms. But this new technique uh, that came from NLP, uh, I'm not going to say is curing, but so far they're eliminating symptoms in everyone that's being given the treatment. 
and it takes less time to use it. And it comes from a simplification of the NLP fast phobia cure. Now, there have been studies. The studies have been replicated. They've been done with males, they've been done with females, and now they're getting more and more grants. So hopefully more and more of our veterans who are succumbing to, um, to suicide, I mean, this tragedy um, has befallen so many of our brothers and sisters that uh, come out of the military. And uh, it's wonderful that this technique and this treatment is getting out there. So I think the field as a whole has, has failed but the results that have been generated by many of the trainers and many of the uh, people that have explored doing this work with people have, uh, have been an absolute gift to society. So I have mixed feelings of that, right? Because I love the field, but I also know that the field has, uh, has definitely um, not succeeded as well as it could have or should have as an integral field. It's, the, it's, it's fractionated too heavily. What are some of the factors that affect uh, the building of better habits? Let's get into habits now because people are habits. People are their habits, right? Sure. So let's get into uh, the habits. What are some of the factors that affect the building of habits? All right, let's, let's look at this. One is repetition. So you want to build a habit, you need repetition, lots of it. If you ask one person, they'll tell you X number of times. You ask somebody else, they'll tell you another number. So I don't claim to know the perfect number. My belief is there isn't any perfect number for repetition. Some people say 21, some people say um, three weeks. Uh, I think uh, how many times you have to repeat something until it becomes a permanent habit uh, probably varies from context to context, but a lot of repetition is critical. We know that. There are techniques in NLP that can help make repetition more successful. There's uh, um, resource triangles. There's a lot of future pacing. There's meta future pacing. There's all kinds of things that we can do to maximize the repetition of something until it becomes a habit. Do you um, do you use any now? You some years ago, I'm the the first course that I created at Proficio was based on Benjamin Franklin's teachings. The way to wealth, it's a financial course. You, some years ago, went into uh, NLP training for business specifically, I recall. Specifically, you went in the business direction. Yes, that's my prime focus. In, uh, right. In you know, now, when you, now, some of the stuff that you just described, do you use that in business? or? or Absolutely. You do? Sure. Great. Are you talking about repetition and habit building? Yes, and, and maybe resource triangles, which is a very fun thing to do. Yeah, some that that's that'll come up more rarely. Specifically, doing resource triangles with with students. But if I teach an NLP business practitioner course, as I have multiple times, I do teach those techniques in the NLP business practitioner courses, to be sure. But if you're talking about um, doing work with a, a, a business client that doesn't necessarily want to know NLP, they just want you to use it. I wouldn't necessarily use resource triangles, but I would constantly repeat key messages to ensure that an audience had had repetition from me, the teacher. So I would, I would do a lot of repetition and I would repeat not only using the exact same words, but also different words. I would repeat concepts using multiple different channels. And by channels, I'm referring to people who need to hear things visually, people who need to hear things auditorily, people who need to hear things with a kinesthetic bent. Um, and so I'll cover the different sensory systems uh, I'll cover towards and away from motivations. You know, learn this so that you don't X. Learn this so that you can get to Y. So there's towards and away from. There's um, here's why you uh, you can't not do this. Here's why you shouldn't avoid this. 
this is you know why you must do this. So I'll cover all the modal operators. There's lots and lots of different ways to repeat a suggestion in different channels of information with different meta programs so that over time, everybody in the room has heard it in multiple ways uh, for multiple reasons. So a lot of repetition is important for building a habit. That's one thing. Second thing is use a shit ton, pardon my language, of time distortion. So you talk about things in their past, you talk about things in their future. You not only talk about things in the past and future, but you also change their perspective to it. So if they have decisions in the past that they've made that weren't so great, instead of looking back at those decisions as if they're done deals, I'll take them out before those decisions were made and get them to look at it differently. What decision would they make today if they had a new opportunity, right? And as for uh, locking something into the future, instead of referring to something that's just in their future as a possibility, I'll take them out past it and have them look back at it as if it's something that has already passed and something they've already accomplished, something they've already done. So there's all kinds of techniques that are utilized to maximize someone's acquisition of a new idea. Um, that might, they might or might not need to be taught the technique of how I'm doing that, but uh, having it done on them will maximize their takeaways, their benefits. We're gonna talk more about that in a moment. Let's take a quick moment to hear from our sponsor and we'll be right back with Jonathan Allfelt. And I wanna talk about some of the differences between a, a business NLP training and a typical one uh, and other business related things too. And I wanna get a little bit more into business. This episode of Self-Help Coaching is brought to you by Perficio. Benjamin Franklin taught that leisure is the time for doing something useful and that this leisure the diligent person will obtain, but the lazy one never. Visit www.perficio.io, that's P-E-R-F-I-C-I-O dot I-O, where you can transform your idea of leisure to make it actually add to your life. You're listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast with my personal NLP trainer. I say personal because he was is my primary NLP trainer. I learned so much from, from him. But he also, I didn't take his business practitioner training, which is, I think, it may be the only one you do now, Jonathan, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so in business news, tell us about the distinction between a business NLP training and a, and a typical or normal one. Sure. Uh, it's not the only training I offer, but in terms of doing a practitioner course, it's the only one I would advertise publicly is doing an NLP business practitioner. Um, I also do the sales course periodically, um, rarely these days, but I will do one um, at some stage again. And also my prime focus is on using genius mapping. But coming back to the difference between a practitioner course and a business practitioner course, for me, all of the same skills will be taught. Otherwise, why would I call it a practitioner course? The difference, however, is translating those skills to a business context so that they're more natural, more easy to apply and use in a way that is natural and elegant in a business context. Um, there's a lot of the, 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 let's say, the more hypnotic aspects of NLP that will not really have a place in a business space. It's one thing to lead a group of people through a visualization so that they become better performers. Um, it's another to uh, utilize hypnotic language. So I think the primary difference for me is that I, I, don't, um, I don't train the more hypnotic uh, applications of NLP uh, for business applications, business uses. I think it, there are certain techniques that would be really, really awkward. 
for example, uh, uh, one would never do the typical Richard Bandler handshake induction in a business space. But I have a version of a handshake that I teach that is absolutely natural, can be used in any business setting. Um, and no one would be the wiser and no one would, uh, would find it awkward, nor, nor would, you, would you, nor would you lead somebody into any kind of a deeply hypnotic place. Uh, it's just an unusual um, moment in a handshake in which an additional suggestion can be dropped. Um, so I think there are lovely applications of NLP in business. There are ways of, of doing anchoring that are more visual and more auditory and a little less kinesthetic. So obviously when we do exercises in an NLP, regular NLP practitioner, of course, we would do some kinesthetic anchoring, assuming everybody was comfortable with that, right? Um, and, uh, and in a business setting, there's less opportunity to do kinesthetic anchoring by far, unless you're leading a group through doing their own kinesthetic anchoring. So, uh, it's, so it's a shift in, um, in a little less in the kinesthetics and a little more with the auditory and visual. Um, and then specific applications, examples. So when we, when we bring up techniques for study and we, and we teach those techniques in a, in a class setting, uh, often those techniques are taught with personal memories, personal um, difficult situations that came up. I prefer in the NLP business practitioner course to use business related content as opposed to personal related content. In so doing, it's a very similar training, but with a different theme, a different focus during exercise drills and, and a shift in application to business contexts from the personal. So a little less one-on-one -on -one client work, a little more um, mastery of interactions with groups of one or more people. What are some of the factors that can make someone more or less successful in creating changes that stick? Uh, well, one is commitment. Um, one's level of buy-in or commitment to a specific outcome uh, is absolutely essential. If, you, if it's just something you sort of want, as opposed to something you've decided, I need to create this for myself. So level of buy-in is the beginning. Second, beyond that would be whether your outcomes or your goals are well-formed. And NLP's got well-formedness principles that we can utilize to filter any outcome um, by the factors that will make it more or less likely to stick. Beyond that, uh, the creation of a strategy of change so that if we have to learn something in order to achieve it, uh, we set up a timetable and a structure, a schedule to do that. Um, and then of course, it's a matter of building habits that enable us to get closer and closer and closer to our measured result that we wanna get. So uh, many of the typical techniques in NLP affect this, uh, the presuppositions. Um, I think the presuppositions are probably, again, to use your, your wording from before, um, uh, extraordinarily helpful, extraordinarily impactful, more valuable than perhaps they even seem at first glance. Um, adopting those presuppositions while one is learning whatever one needs to learn in order to achieve some desired result uh, is essential. Case in point, um, uh, this is just one out of a uh, hundred possible reasons why the presuppositions are valuable in um, being more likely to get a result you want. Let's say uh, you want to develop more skill in interacting with others in some context, doesn't matter what it is. Uh, if you assume that the reason you aren't getting the result is because of somebody else's behavior, you're externalizing blame. 
and giving up responsibility for the change. So we've got this wonderful presupposition in NLP that says uh, the meaning of your communication is the response you receive. And whether or not that's true, if we operate as if it is true, then I'm responsible for my behavior and language. I'm also responsible for your response to me. Now that puts a lot of responsibility on my own shoulders. And for some people, they might think, well, it's not, it's not my fault he didn't respond the way I wanted him to. Um, but if I take responsibility for your response, then I gain the power to do something different to change it. I take on the responsibility to change it. It's all about empowerment. It's, it's empowering. So at first it feels like, oh, that's too much responsibility. But no, it's really more empowering. Because only if you take responsibility for everything that happens around you and ownership of everything that happens around you, do you have the ability to shift it, to change it? That is, it's been my unequivocal experience. You yes. know, and, and, you know, I've, I'm 55 years old and, uh, you know, any, any person, generally speaking, should become wiser as they, as they get older. But I've learned so much, especially in the last uh, decade or so, let's say, uh, based on my NLP, you know, becoming certified in NLP by you, uh, where I was able to be more receptive to, to learning things and be and to have more maneuver space in 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 ways I can implement them, where I Agreed. can actually apply them in my life, as opposed to oh that'd be cool to use and never use it, <laughs> you know. Yes. So it's been it's been a game changer for me, uh, NLP. It really has. I I think for most people. NLP is mostly about creating more options. That a lot of people become very habituated over the course of their lives. As they get older, they become more habituated and then eventually they've only got one behavioral option in any given circumstance. Um, and that's restrictive. It really is inflexible and the most flexible element in any system always wins. So therefore, if you've only got one option available to you, uh, other people can dance around your position anytime they want, uh, and and they win more often. So so NLP is about more more options, giving people more behavioral options. Now, there's a downside to having more options, which is that if you have more and more and more and more and more options, eventually to the point where you've got hundreds of options in any given circumstance. But if you don't have good strategies for picking among those options then that's just as bad, if not worse, than having only one option. Because having one option, you can move forward for better or worse. But if you have a hundred options and can't decide between any of them, now you're stuck, now you're immobile, and there's no moving forward. So that form of indecision um, is, is really unhelpful. Let's talk about the nature of procrastination. No, can we talk about that another day? Okay, surely, absolutely. I'm kidding. You wanna put it off? Yeah, I want to put it off. Exactly. So. I, was, I was just, I was just, uh, you know, just co-signing your stuff, man. <laughs> <laughs> so procrastination. Procrastination is, you know, by itself uh, is not necessarily a terrible thing. It's when it becomes dysfunctional that is a problem. Um, the nature of procrastination is a values conflict. So if procrastinating something is because something you value much more importantly is more important than this other thing that you're going to put off and that is genuinely more important than this thing fine because you're choosing between satisfying a more important value over a less important value 
But if uh, one of your values is getting your taxes done, or one of your values is completing a project for a client who has prepaid for something by a specific delivery point, and the other value you're satisfying is sitting on the couch playing video games, I'm sorry, but that's a problem, right? So the question is, where are you procrastinating and how? I don't want to remove the ability to procrastinate something because procrastinating um, having a donut would be great if instead you're going to cook yourself a beautiful uh, grilled chicken meal with some salad, right? So um, again, imposing values there uh, indiscriminately. But the point is, is that procrastination as a human behavior isn't bad. It's where are you doing it and how often and how much. Absolutely. By the way, I okay. built this into Proficio and I learned it directly from you and Rex. <laughs> Did it? Oh, cool. That's great. That's great. So, uh, yeah, I, I love it. So, uh, you know, uh, we've went over time simply because I'm so enjoying this conversation, this interview. This is the, probably the longest uh, interview I've done so far because I'm oh, it's great. so enjoyable. Uh, so I'm gonna we're gonna take a moment here from our po uh, our sponsor, and then we're gonna come back with the final segment with Jonathan Altfeld. This episode of Self Help Coaching is brought to you by Perficio. People value all sorts of things, but Benjamin Franklin teaches us that the most valuable thing we have is time. With it, we can have practically anything. Visit www.perficio.io, that's P-E-R-F-I-C-I-O dot I-O, where you can truly learn how to value time and have that instilled in you so that you can best use time to work for you. You are listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast with me, your host, Tony Petroza, and my NLP trainer, Jonathan Allfeld. Uh, this cold conversation has just been so awesome. I, I'm just loving it, truly. Uh, it's been my pleasure to have you here. Um, let's talk about what have you been working on lately that can assist people interested in self-help? So, uh, yeah, um, my prime focus has been on genius mapping in recent uh, months, really, throughout the COVID uh, process and all that. And, uh, and by the way, I hope you and all your family are safe and healthy. Um, so genius mapping. Um, genius mapping is a six-day uh, course that, uh, uh, generally speaking, doesn't attract people who, um, who have never been exposed to it before. Usually the people that show up to a genius mapping course are people who have already spent time observing um, um, the importance of beliefs in doing change work or in doing modeling, and or they've been exposed to the material through some of my home study courses. I've never before shown people uh, modeling live in a, in a sort of introductory format, but that's changing as of right now, pretty much. So there's a place, there's a place where people can go and look and learn about genius mapping as a general idea at geniusmapping.com, no dashes, it's just geniusmapping.com. And within a few days, they're going to see the offering of not just the full certification course, but also an opportunity to kind of sit in on a modeling session with me doing the modeling. And my exemplar is a fellow by the name of Carlos Casados. That's the first one that's coming up. There will be more beyond that. So Carlos is a master networker. He's a gifted networker. 
And um, at a recent genius mapping course, somebody did the starting work to capture Carlos's gifts for networking. But what we have right now is an incomplete genius map. And I'm going to spend some Zoom sessions uh, refining and adding to that model, fleshing it out to create a more complete version of the genius map. So um, for people who just want the result of that, if they don't care to sit in on the modeling session, they'll be able to buy the genius map, uh, much like the cost of a book from either Carlos directly or possibly through the genius mapping site when we're done. But if there are people that actually want some exposure to genius mapping and to sit in on a modeling session, which would be about three hours, we'll have about two and a half hours of modeling work where they'll be seeing me building the visual map. So we'll be uh, going back and forth between my interviews live on camera with, with Carlos and also my, I'll be doing some screen sharing with the actual genius map being built real time. And, uh, and so they can sit in and get exposed to genius mapping in that way. Uh, anyone who attends that will be able to get a discount on the, genius, on the genius map that we produce during that session later on as well. Uh, or if they want, they can buy the genius map later. And if they like the genius map, they can then get the recording later of the genius mapping session. So there's a lot, there's, they can go in both directions if they want. But these will all be low cost uh, ways to sort of dip one's toes in. And if networking, uh, meaning I don't mean computer networking, I mean people networking, isn't specifically a model that is of any interest, there will be more others. There will be business building exemplars in the future that I'll be working with. And using um, the interviewing process of genius mapping to create actual genius maps that people can follow. And what's beautiful about this process is that people don't have to be trained in genius mapping to be able to follow a genius map which by the way is true of every other NLP modeling system out there. You have to be trained in the system to replicate whatever is acquired, but not true with genius mapping. Genius mapping produces trackable maps that anybody can interpret naturally, whether or not they've been trained in genius mapping. So I'm excited about what's happening. Uh, I'm, um, I'm really excited to do the live modeling sessions and also uh, to do the next uh, online genius mapping course. Jonathan, it has been totally awesome having you on the podcast. Uh, well, I hope that there's some useful insights that came out in this conversation for the self-helpers in your audience that uh, uh, always need more, more tidbits and techniques for maximizing the results of what they, what they study. I heard them. I just hope they're not too stupid as to not latch onto them. <laughs> I like to insult my audience because I'm an old punk rocker, man. It's like kind of like the default go-to. No, but of course, only I only have the smartest of the dumbest people on this show. I'm not listening. Oh, <laughs> I'm That's kidding. brutal. I kid, I kid. But no, truly, this has been an awesome conversation. Uh, you've given us so much great value for any listener. And I really appreciate, I really appreciate you as a person and as a, as a business person and as an NLP trainer. You well, I appreciate you too, Tony. And I'm very excited for you and your project. And Thank I'm you. grateful for the invitation to join you. Really, you really touched my life and I really appreciate that. Uh, and uh, you've, 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 you've taught me so many things that on so many different levels, such a range. I mean, just like little, like little tidbits of things that I can hear your voice. For example, like, general piece of advice you're saying tony if you speak 
more from your gut, you'll be more persuasive, you know, things like that, you know, but there's a hundred little things like that to things that are far more advanced and more, much more refined and have much more subtlety and nuance and, and, and education. But, you know, you were, you're such an influence on me. I, I really, I, it's hard for me to express how important you are to me, even though, you know, we haven't spoken. We have, and we've it's been a, before this has been such a long time. And I'm so glad that we reconnected. By the way, one of the things, I think it was at the at the Orlando training. Uh, you uh, you you bro broke out some juggling balls. I went out and I bought them. Whoa! But I and, and I had them my put in my office. I never took them out of the wrapper. Okay, so let me just take off the procrastination. <laughs> I give you my word, dear sir. These will come out of the wrapper one day, and I will learn little by little and be uh, be a proficient juggler, and I will show you. <laughs> and and that day will truth. I talked about coming full circle. That will be the true full circle. Where that will be the measure. Yeah. Where yeah. where did you get those? I got it off Amazon. Probably like what? Oh, 2014. Okay. 2014. So, so so probably seven years I've had it. The dust is on you know. So uh, it's I've had it scrolled away in this in this office, and uh, <laughs> I wanted to show it to you. <laughs> so I really appreciate you uh, so much. Uh, and one of the things that I, I remember is when I, when I first began learning from you, uh, your intro pack was exquisite ability. Do you still yeah. send that out? You're probably, I'm sure, updated, but do you still send that out? I do still send that out, and I probably do need to update it and make a new version. That is an awesome thing. Guys, go to Jonathan's website, either either off, well, off.com. By the way, Jonathan was renowned in the early days when he was a basic newcomer to the field because of his website. He, he was, you know, I remember reading this, learn this about you. I use your website as a study resource for years, the, your, your articles, your blogs. The, I mean, I oh, I went to, I spent a lot of time at your website reading and learning and reading these chats that you had with all these nilpers. Yeah, and, that's that's all still there. Um, if, if somebody printed out my entire website, it's probably around 1,500 pages of content. So there's a lot of good stuff there. A lot of resources. Go to, John, go to altfelt.com. Go to geniusmapping.com. Check out what Jonathan is about because this guy, this guy knows what he's talking about. Oh, uh, thank uh, you. And uh, you know, on that last, th uh, uh, the last thing I'm going to say anecdotally is uh, a line uh, from a movie, and it's this: "Allfeld, pick that up." <laughs> That's right. That's actually family. Uh, there's a there's a there's a short story behind that. Uh, my uncle, um, Philip Z. Altfeld. Um, uh, was an attorney in his first career, and he was friends with um, uh, with a number of famous entertainers um, like Steve Martin and uh, Leslie Nielsen, and uh, uh, I think uh, Carl um, Reiner. Uh, Carl Reiner, thank you. And so there, there was a whole group of people uh, that were that knew him at the time. And when Steve Martin put together that movie that you were quoting from. Pennies from uh, Heaven? Is that Pennies from no, Heaven? No, it wasn't Pennies from Heaven. It was, um, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm having, a, I'm having a brain fart. Dead men don't wear. Dead men tell no tales. Dead men no, don't, dead wear, men dead don't men wear plaid. Don't wear plaid, that's, don't wear plaid. that's correct. Don't wear plaid. So there's a scene where Steve Martin's character, and, and the whole movie was brilliant because it combined awesome. shots of, uh, Classic movie. uh right, it, it, exactly. Many, many, uh, movies from decades earlier in black and white with, uh, and they interspersed scenes, right, with, uh, with Steve Martin, created a whole new story. So sure enough, 
Steve Martin goes into an office and says, Philip P.Z. Alfeld, uh, attorney at law or something like that. And so he goes in there with that puppy and the puppy makes poo on the, on the, on the ground. And he says, pick that up. And I think the, the line was, um, uh, Alfeld, you're a sick man. Yes. And I'm, I was 15, I think, in the theater when I saw that and heard that. And it's such an unusual name, Altfeld, that it, ha- it couldn't have been accidental. So I called up family and, and found out that, in That's fact, awesome. it, was a, it was a practical joke. That's great. Great stuff. It's been so <laughs> wonderful having you on the show, Jonathan. And remember, everyone, would you like to say goodbye to our, the audience, John? to those not to those are not looking on youtube he just gave you a big kiss (laughs) so uh remember everyone we're all responsible for ourselves and we can all use some help with that thank you for being here see you at the next podcast tony thanks again thank you for tuning in to the self-help coaching podcast where insights attitudes and methods for success get illuminated Learn what leaders and change workers have done and are doing now to create magnificent futures. Remember to visit our website at self-helpcoaching.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Self-Help Coaching Podcast.